I better not say too much. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Bit Spursy for another week, but also we've missed a couple of weeks, so sorry about that, but we are back now. Uh, I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we have a very, very special guest uh, on the pod today. It's Windy from the Extra Inch. Windy, hello. Hello, boys. Lovely to lovely to meet you. Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I know both of us um, have been wanting to have you on for such a long time. We're both huge fans of the Extra Inch. Uh, we love the Patreon, so it's, it's, uh, it's a real honour. Oh, that's that's really nice. Thank you. That means a lot. You've had Bardi already. Um, he really enjoyed the experience of talking to you. He spoke very highly about you both, actually. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. There we oh, go. That's we just we just yeah. wanted you on, Wendy, just so you could tell us how that went, and then uh, great. <laughs> yeah. Now we feel better about ourselves. Cool, cool. <laughs> good, good, yep. good. Happy Sorted. to help. Sorted. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Now, bye then. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for this. Uh, cool. Uh, we feel better. I mean, isn't that the you know, that's the goal of life, right? Hedonism, uh, feeling good, um, especially when you've got that counterbalance of uh, Tottenham Hotspur. So that's, uh, you know, you really need that other bit. Um, but, yeah, we're, as I said to you, we're going to sort of, we haven't done the previous two matches, so we're just going to quickly go over those. Let's start with Brentford. Like, I, my my memory goes pretty quickly with Spurs things, um, but for some reason I still find it easier to go through things sequentially. Um, otherwise mm. I end up getting mixed up because sometimes we'll do like the most recent game and then we'll backtrack and my brain just sort of shuts down and freezes and I'm like, I can't go back in time and remember what happened a week ago. Cause it, I mean, it, it seems like so much happens <laughs> every week, but even when it doesn't. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, never not eventful. There's a much better way of saying that, but anyway, um, <laughs> so in the Redford game we had, we had, uh, two goals and it, it for me felt like the first time we felt properly uh, dominant, I guess, under Conte, where it, it felt, I felt really good about this game. Um, I felt like we, we had, it felt like there were a few more little moves that were happening. And um, it's also so nice. And, and Wendy, you might know, uh, I know, I don't know how often you're attending games these days, but it's, it's so nice to watch even, you know, at 2am uh, on the other side of the world to see, it feels like, from the from the vision that the stadium is so much more united in their support, um, uh, and and that's just like it's it's just heartwarming to see. Yeah, I mean, I, so personally, I'm not attending games at the moment. Unfortunately, I'm still in my I'm still effectively locked down. I've not come out of lockdown since March 2020, which is oh. kind of mad. It's because my my partner is uh, clinically extremely vulnerable, so we have oh. been super cautious all the way through. Mm. And uh, the government strategy in the UK of like having a low level of infection rate the whole time is not ideal for our personal situation. So we're just <laughs> like <laughs> essentially housebound. Um, but so that means I can't go to Spurs games, but uh, mm. loads of my friends have been going and yeah, absolutely. It's, it's much more unified. Um, it feels like everyone is once again, pulling in the same direction and there's a sense of hope. And also I think like just being able to see that the team is building towards something and being able to sort of see the early stages of, of tactics emerging, you know, actual tactics, <laughs> yeah. tactics that look like they can win football matches. It just gives you such optimism as a, as a fan. And I, f I feel like that's definitely coming through um, on the broadcast when I'm watching. I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it'll get better and it'll get better as, as we get better and it'll grow and become something more of a movement. And I, I honestly believe I'm so optimistic about this season, next season, um, perhaps even the season after, depending on how long Conte wants to stay. But I really mm. feel like we can finish top four this year. And I, and I think if the fans sort of get a few more glimpses of, of what we're building towards over the coming weeks, depending on the COVID situation, um, then I really feel like everyone is just going to like be swept up in the in the Conte bubble. I really do. Well, I think for mm. how you know poorly I guess the season started overall and like going through one manager in a few months, uh, we are in fifth. <laughs> and, you know, we win our game in hand and I think that takes us above West Ham into fourth, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. So, mm. like, really, we're, we're doing pretty well. Like, if yeah. we'd been playing okay in these first sort of, well, let's call it in the, I was going to say the Nuno era, but I don't really know if it's an in, in era is appropriate for the amount of time. Mm. The Nuno moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> like if we'd been playing well through that period, but still losing games, like, and, and where we, and, you know, seeing where we are now, I don't think we would have been as disheartened as we were, but just like, you know, the way that we were playing and, and everything, like it did make it quite a, quite a chore to sort of watch games. And I agree with what you were saying, Barney and you too, Wendy, that, you know, it's, um, there is definitely a sense of like optimism now. And, you know, these, these games, the Brentford game and the Norwich game, it, it was actually enjoyable watching them as Spurs fans again. And, you know, being able to look forward to that as opposed to, you know, previously, I think the, the most fun Spurs thing that we would do each week, Barney, would be to record the pod. And it's like, oh, well, we have to watch the game because that's just mandatory. Uh, whereas now it's like, oh, yeah, cool. Let's catch up. Let's watch the game and, you know, start enjoying that again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we've, we've finally sort of broken our... We had a curse for a long time, Wendy, that every time we'd watch a game together, Tottenham would unexpectedly lose or draw. And um, that was broken by Gareth Bale's uh, uh, double on the last day, I'm pretty sure, Dan. That was, and then this season's been a bit, uh, oh, have we watched a win? Maybe maybe the curse is back. Have we watched a win together? Yeah, we've watched, well, I mean, the well, the Norwich game. Mm. Oh, yep. Yep, 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 yep. I remember that. Oh, no, but sorry. So, wait, we've gone back in time. We're back in time. We're in Brentford land. So, in Brentford land, no, we haven't watched a win together. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of the things um, we did, we had, we've got a friend, Rob, who's a Man U supporter, and after we beat City on the first day, he sent us a message saying, oh, I know it's early, but um, you guys seem like really ready to go for the top four this season. And then that message just haunted me for the next like nine weeks <laughs> where I was like, oh. and now that Conte's back, now I am looking, <laughs> able to look at it again. And I'm just waiting, hopefully until the, well, hopefully we tie up the top four before the last day, but you know, who knows to be able to reply and be like, I guess you were right. And <laughs> then being fifth or sixth, that would be just magic. Yeah. See, I, I've, I've believed since the start of the season that we have the players capable of top four and, um, and I, I must admit, like, I wasn't taken with Nuno at all. But Nathan mm. Clark, who's uh, obviously our tactics guy in the extra inch, he, um, he convinced me that he thinks that Nuno can essentially at least punch his weight with the squad that we had. Uh, and so I was like, OK, well, that means top four in my eyes. Like, punching our weight. We are, we are in terms of the quality in our squad, and, and by that, like, not just Harry Kane, but having Harry Kane, you know, it immediately elevates you. Perhaps not at the moment, but you know, mm. projecting forward, it ele- elevates you. I was like, yeah, top fours should be doable on the Nuno then, but clearly, clearly, it went stale pretty quickly. Um, uh, but absolutely, like 
a competent manager plus the quality we have in the squad should equal top four for Spurs. And, you know, there's been a lot made of West Ham fighting on two fronts for the first time. Um, the thinness of their squad, particularly their reliance on Mikel Antonio. So, like, with a bit of luck, they'll get a couple of injuries. They'll struggle to compete in the Premier League and um, Europa League and, and they'll drop off and we will we will be in our ascendance, ascendancy as they drop off and, yeah, top four will be tied up nice and early. I guess it feels with our squad that it feels kind of very easy to sort of swing back and forth. And then after a couple yeah. of results, we're like, well, they're not Premier League standard. They're not up to it. Yeah. They shouldn't even be playing League One. And then, you know, if a couple of good games, it's like, yeah, they should be playing the World Cup uh, next year. And um, it seems like a, there's, it just seems like there's a few players in our squad like that, which we're kind of like going a little bit to and fro on and, um, you know, haven't really, maybe now they're starting to establish themselves under sort of Conte. And, and I think we're getting a decent idea of what our sort of starting 11 is, at least for the moment. Uh, but it does feel like there has been, yeah, the ship has not been steady for a while in that department. Mm. Yeah, I wonder, uh, Wendy, uh, you and Nathan especially on the extra inch have always been very pro and on ballet and, and so have we until I think one podcast we're like, we were like, we're fed up, we're sick, we're sick of him. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, and on ballet and Delhi and, and Bergvine and um, – <laughs> Every single time it seems that they play or they, even if they don't play, I see replies on Twitter to you guys that are like, oh, Delhi, you know, like, oh, where was he? Oh, he was terrible. Um, and I, I guess I, I wanted to ask in terms of like at the present moment, how are you feeling about uh, those three players specifically? Um, but also uh, like, what is it like to, because I really, I love all three of those players. And so it's so refreshing to hear, listen to you guys talk about them in a way that's like uh, more balanced or more rational rather than like terrible, uh, get rid of them. They shouldn't be playing. Um, so I guess, how does it, how does it feel to be in that position? And then also, how do you, how do you feel about their spot in the squad at the moment? Because they haven't mm. any, neither of them, or all three of them haven't featured very much. Yeah, I think it's a great question, to be honest, because um, the obvious response is like, well, clearly Conte doesn't like them. And so you were wrong, Wendy. Uh, and it's like, well, actually, I think Conte is rightly picking the tried and tested at the moment. He's picking the mm. players that were fit, sharp, ready to go, um, a little bit more defensive minded, if we're honest, you know, a, a kind of more workmanlike midfield, get the job done early on kind of thing. Um but yeah, I mean, they're just, they're good players. I mean, I think like some someone said to me on Twitter the other day, on, sorry, it was on Reddit, sorry, on the on the Koi's Reddit, um, Delhi can't even complete a five-yard, a simple five-yard pass anymore. And I'm just like, come on, come on. <laughs> like, yes, okay, I get it. I get it. He has, he has largely been shit for two years. Mm. But so has the whole club. Like the whole squad has largely been shit for two years. We've had terrible managers using our players badly. Of course, he's been bad. And the thing is, like, there was a period under Mourinho where he was actually quite good. <laughs> so even that is not true. Um, but it's don't you think it's like a little bit of a coincidence that these three previously very good players are mysteriously all bad at the same time? It's like, yeah, of course, it's of course that's happened. It's tactics. It's it's confidence. It's self belief. It's play. It's managers not having their trust in them and not sort of putting them in a position to be able to get the best out of them. The whole point of coaching is maximizing the the potential at your disposal. 
And Antonio Conte will do that. And if he chooses not to use Tongi and Domble, Delhi and Steven Bergvine, then I fully respect that because Antonio Conte is a fantastic coach. And if they don't fit into his very specific plan, then I am fine with that. Sell them, move on from them, all good. But that doesn't mean they're not good players. They are good players and they will fit into a, a team elsewhere and do very well in the future. And then people will be like, well, why couldn't they perform at Spurs? Why couldn't they play like that when they're at Spurs? It's obvious why. It's really <laughs> obvious why. Like, just give them a break. And the other thing to say is, I think Delhi in particular is just a lightning rod for people's frustrations about the team in general. And he kind of picks up a lot of, like, extra flack because, I mean, I think there's a lot of racism as well, if I'm completely honest. I think, like, his off-pitch activities... How dare he go out to Dubai? How dare he go out to clubs with his friends? How dare he play computer games, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, that doesn't help his his cause amongst our fan base. But it winds it really winds me up that he picks up all this flack because it's not just him that's that's underperformed over two years, and frankly, he's barely played in that period <laughs> as well. So. I don't know. I find it. I find the discourse very frustrating. I also completely understand why fans are frustrated because because we spent lots of money on them. Because in, particularly in um, in Dombele's case, and because like we we know there's potential there. So I get it. But I honestly just urge patience. Uh, let's see what Conte can do with these players. If he can't, then fine. We we cut them loose and move on. But. Like I'm very hopeful that he will do something. He'll find the role for them, and they'll be able to utilize their their skill sets because there's a lot of quality there that's currently not being utilized. Mm. Sorry, sorry to get on my high horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like high horses. We want you right up on your high horse for your whole time with us. Um, but yeah, I think with the De- with Delhi as well, maybe he seems to cop it a bit more too because he was kind of there in like we've seen a before and after sort of Delhi in that sense that. Um, sure. Like in Dombele and Bergwijn, we haven't really seen them sort of get to the heights that we were sort of all hoping for, whereas mm-hmm. we see like Delhi come onto the scene and then it's like, wow, this is a, you know, 100 million, 200 million pound player. Like he's playing incredibly and at this age and then we sort of seen him, um, you know, dip down and like you said, there are a number of reasons for that. It's not just him and, you know, sort of how he's been playing. But, it yeah, it just kind of feels like that we're taking out frustrations maybe in a sense that like the the team – that we had under Poch didn't win anything and didn't quite get over the line. And Delhi was a really prominent part of that team. And then now we're kind of almost holding that against him a little bit as one of the kind of remaining sort of pieces from that puzzle. And then I think what also ends up happening with all this is that we constantly are looking at to trying to judge individuals in what is a team sport. And so, so often we're like, that's a bad player. That's a good player. That's a bad player. That's a good player. But it's so much, like it's so much of it goes down to the formation they're playing, the, the, the tactics of the manager, how they're being utilized and so many other things around the club. So I think you're right, uh, Woody, where, yeah, it's like we, we, we kind of treat these players like a bit too much of sort of a, a commodity that just should be good, should be bad, this, that, and everything else. Um, but you know, there are always hundreds of reasons of, you know, for everything that's sort of happening at all times. Mm. One of the things that, um, always, there was a paper that came out, it probably would have been about 10 years ago now that looked at the way that, um, black Australian rules football players are described, uh, in commentary. And, you know, one of the things which you hear over and over again in the premier league as well is that 
you know, that they're described as lazy or they don't care or, or you know, all these horrible stereotypes. But th- but the flip side of it is when they, and this is, uh, I think, definitely true for Delhi and, and Ombele. I, I, I can't think of specific examples for Bergvine, but um, that when they do something good, it's not skill or intelligence, it's magic or, you know, otherworldliness. or So it's not even them that that is contributing in a way that is, part of their own autonomy and their own ability. It's because of some uh, extraneous force that they have some kind of control of. And it, so even when they're getting praised, it's still so loaded in this racism and it's so um, frustrating to hear, especially here in Australia where we, we get the Optus Premier League sports version where our pundits are like Tim Sherwood, Paul Scholes, Michael Owen, and that's, that, that's it. Um, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's so frustrating to um to have to listen to over over it, and especially once you start picking it up, you can't like it'll happen multiple times in a game. It's um yeah, it's awful. I also kind of felt I was just going to say, Barney, on that point, um, you know, when, when the terms like that, like lazy, get thrown around, it's like, well, hang on, these are like professional athletes at the very top of their game in the top. 0.001 percent of the people who play that sport, and you don't get there just by being lazy. Um, and like you said, Bunny, and have you know being able to conjure some magic up every now and then, like, um, so it does really, yeah, it is really like disrespectful when those things come out. And um, like you mentioned, but well, it's something that we've had a lot here with sort of Australian rules football um, for a while. And yeah, you kind of see that it's really like the mm. same everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I got to bring up Australian rules football. Um, that's a tick. Uh, <laughs> always get to do it once a pod. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Um, when did, did you have any thoughts on, uh, I don't know if I've got like, I, I want to keep this cause I've got so many questions I want to ask. So uh, in terms of, uh, summarizing the Brentford game, Dan, was there anything in particular that you wanted to, to, um, make a standpoint or should, uh, should we ask Wendy for his quick take on the, on the Norwich game? Um, I think something for Brent Brentford, which probably also applies for Norwich game was I think particularly Ben Davies. Um, has been someone who I thought played pretty well in these games. And in re-watching the highlights before we were sort of recording, um, I, I really just started noticing that Ben Davies is absolutely everywhere. Like there are so many moments he's like trying to get on the end of crosses or like free kicks or he's involved in these passing movements, playing forward. And you're just like, hang on, wait, Davies is in there again? Um, and it's like I didn't really notice that much when I watched the games the first time around. Like I thought, oh, Davies is playing pretty well. But then watching them again, like all the little highlight clips, it's like, hang on. <laughs> this starts with Davies. Ah, and then he pops up again there. So I think it's someone that, because I know Barney, like we were sort of quite critical of um, Ben Davies, especially in the Manu game. But um, yeah, I think I just wanted to point out, like he's just been absolutely everywhere for us. And I think that the improvement we've seen from him um, under under Conte has been, it's, it hasn't been one that's been grabbing headlines, but I think it really should be because like he's he's really kind of started transforming. That's so true. He's incredibly well suited to this system. Uh, it's a system he knows well because he plays a similar system with his national team, Wales. Uh, and everyone always said, oh, you know, you should see Ben Davis as an outside centre-back, um, like in a back three, rather than uh, the back four, which which was all we had to judge him on previously for Spurs, really, we, either as a wing-back or a, a left traditional left full-back. In this system, it kind of... It hides his flaws and accentuates all of the good bits because essentially the outside centre-backs play 
basically as fullbacks when we've got the ball, except you've already got a wing back there. So the wing back is holding the width. That means there's lots of room in the inside channel for the for the outside centre back to run into. So Davis, really good creative passer from from deep areas, able to do that. Also really good at making underlapping runs off the ball. He's able to do that as well. And that's why we keep seeing him pop up in the box, which is kind of, I mean, it's slightly surprising to see how much he's been in the box, but um, but he's done really well. He times his runs superbly. And the link up with Regulon is very, very promising. It was notable in the Brentford game, how kind of lopsided we were in the way we attacked. Like all of the good stuff, particularly in the first half and particularly early on, was Davis playing useful balls like down the channel for Regulon to run into or Davis bursting inside and trying to create something. Whereas on the other side, you had Sanchez who just hasn't got that same ability on the ball. He can't run with the ball. He can't really pass the ball very effectively. So we were struggling to kind of activate Emerson Royale in the same way that Davis was getting the best out of Regulon. Um, and that I think that was very telling. And to be honest, I was fully expecting Sanchez to be dropped for the Norwich game or at least kind of rotated out in uh, in air quotes. Um, but obviously, because Emerson Real was missing, we now know why, um, that led to Tanganga playing right wing back. So Sanchez kept his place. And in, in many ways, that made our right side like even worse than it was against uh, Brentford. But, you know, there, I mean, on the plus side, there's, there's some sort of defensive solidity there um, that you w- wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. So not the end of the world. Mm. I wonder um, with... You know, Davey, like I remember when Davies first came to Spurs, there was that sort of talk about him playing um, as a third centre-back and now we're seeing it and we're seeing the results of that. But but also um, with poor old Doherty, um, you know, like he is not, Tanganga starting bef- before him in his actual position and then we've seen him play, it hasn't been, it's not like, oh, uh, similar to Davies where it's like, oh, okay, now... Now we see the fruits of, you know, whatever people were talking about. Like he's just been bad. And I just don't quite, I mean, my only hypothesis is that uh, I know he had uh, coronavirus very early on and maybe that's affected his ability, but it's just, it's uh, aside from that, it's quite a um, a shocking uh, change of, of fortune for him in that position. Um, and it's almost, I think maybe it's the most universally agreed point amongst Spurs fans. It's like, yeah, he's terrible. He's terrible. <laughs> What's happening there? I want a DNA test. I want to see if we actually bought Gary Doherty. Uh, no, Matt. <laughs> Ga- <laughs> Gary, Gary Doherty. Doherty. Sorry, Ginger Pele, of course. That I, I'm, <laughs> I always just want to slip him in whenever I can. But um, Matt Doherty, I'm like, have we bought like his twin brother or something that because, you know, especially when, um, and I remember, um, Wendy, I think listening to the extra inch before the start of last season when he first came in and there was a lot of talk of like where he was playing and like his most effective position and, and everything there. And it just seems like, like you were saying, Barney, like, yeah, now's the time for, for him to shine. But yeah, is it a combination of the fact that he did have COVID quite a while ago, but also he's just been out of favor for so long and his confidence would just be completely through the floor. Um, or is he just not that great and he, he sort of had a you know bit of a purple patch for Wolves and we ended up paying over the odds for him? I, I think it's all three of those things, to be honest. I think he was overrated because 
he scored lots of goals from fullback, which is unusual. Wing back, um, which is you know that's not a thing that happens very often. You don't get many goal scoring wing backs. Marcos Alonso, to be fair, is another one who, who scores fairly freely from wing back and. Um, and Chilwell this year was before he got injured was scoring lots, but Doherty must be the top scoring wing back I would think over the previous three four seasons. So there's definitely like a little bit of overrating him. Then you've got COVID. Then you've got uh, got off to a bad start, and it's really hard to come back from that. Plus he's an Arsenal fan. <laughs> I don't think that went down <laughs> particularly well with Spurs fans either. Mm. Um, despite the amusing signing video. So it doesn't like that is all very bad news for him, right? But, but I think there's every chance that he could be sold in January. I think that is a distinct possibility. But we have seen Conte completely turn around the fortunes of of previously written off fullbacks and wingbacks before. Damian and Ashley Young being two examples, players who fans had completely given up on and didn't sort of see as viable assets. Um. I'm just saying, you never know. Like, don't don't completely write off the possibility that Doherty could have some kind of comeback. Like, I am fully in favour of selling, replacing ASAP, get someone in to compete with Emerson Royale who has a little bit more ball-carrying ability, a little bit more attacking thrust. Um, but if, we, if we're going to prioritise our budget elsewhere, if we're going to prioritise a centre-back and maybe another midfielder, it wouldn't surprise me completely if if Conte got a tune out of him. I, f- yeah. I feel like I just yeah, hope yeah. we're not wanting Conte to get a tune out of like ten players. <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah, to sort <laughs> yeah. of all lift. Like we might have one or two success stories, or hopefully a few more than that. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's there has to be one that just doesn't that just doesn't end up working out for sure. Yeah, I'm so desperate for uh, Windy on this pod. I um, have been perhaps unfairly negative about Harry Winks. Um, and I am desperate for him to now become the greatest midfielder that Spurs have ever seen um, because I want, I just, I, <laughs> I think it's guilt. It's guilt. Not that he <laughs> knows that I'm, I'm talking about him, um, but <laughs> yeah, there's certainly, uh, yeah, a lot of hope there. I mean, we, we do have one uh, best Spurs midfielder that we've ever seen, and that's Oliver Skip, who's had two great games. And Wendy, I wanted to ask, um, you, you know, uh, famously are a big fan of, of following the youth team and the youth setup, and um, you get very excited about um, prospects. And from my perspective, be it in AFL, that's two, um, yeah, or uh, Spurs, there's so many, um, so many false dawns. And, it, you know, not that it's the player's fault. It can be, there's so many factors that play into it. But how do you, A, uh, how do you feel that skip? But B, how do you continue to have this optimism about who's coming through in the youth team? Really good question. Um, I love Skip. I really, really, really love Oliver Skip. I think he's not only is he a fantastic player with a lot more to give than what we've seen so far. Uh, he's also a great character. So I've spoken a couple of times to people who, um, someone who taught him at school and a couple of people who know of him and they just say such good things about him as a person, which is which is really nice. Um, and the, like his willingness to learn, kind of academically, he was really committed as well as as kind of on the sports pitches, which is which is nice. Um, 
he's a fantastic player. He's so good. And I think the the Norwich loan was so perfect for him. I think I might have said this on the extra edge. I definitely said it somewhere recently that the ability... To, so the good thing about Norwich for, for Skip was that Daniel Farker, who I think is a good coach, he's an underrated coach, he plays a system with a very much dedicated holding midfield player. And not in the kind of traditional tough tackling holding midfield player, but a player who sees lots of the ball in build-up. So Norwich had loads of the ball in the championship. And that meant that Skip just got so many touches, which it, it sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but that's clearly just great for a player's development in, in midfield. They're just constantly having the ball at their feet. He's being asked to, okay, play short, maybe five, six, seven yards sideways passes a lot of the time but just having that experience of having the ball being relied upon to start tax so good for his development but because I've seen Skip um, previously I kind of knew that he had more than that in his locker I knew that he had the, the potential to run with the ball a bit more to play more expansive passes and so I always just felt like it was a matter of time he gets his foot in the door he plays very safe to begin with because he's very tactically smart he's very adaptable and then before long, we'll be seeing Skip kind of bursting through midfield. And we start, to be fair, we're starting to see that now. He he made a couple of really good bursts forward in, in the last couple of games. Um, in pre-season, he played that absolutely ridiculous, smashed on the half volley crossfield pass, which um, I remember Ben Haynes at halftime, like lapping it up and, and talking about how incredible it was, this pass he played in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So I, I just am very, very excited about um, Skip. And in terms of the second part of that question around my enthusiasm for the young players, it's it's really difficult to sort of have these discussions publicly because you just seem ridiculously biased and like agenda driven. <laughs> um, but in my opinion, the reality is that we produce very good footballers. We produce lots of very, very good young footballers. And we are terrible bringing them through. And I know that <laughs> sounds mad, like having just mm. been spoken about Oliver Skip and, you know, we've got mm. Harry Kane in our first team, who's one of the best players in the Premier League ever. Um, and we brought him through and Harry Winks is in there as well. And Jeff Tanganga. Like, that's not a bad output, but it could have been better. It really could have been better. And there's a couple of like, there's three really obvious ones, the ones that got away for me. And we just kind of, we made bad moves at the wrong stage in their development, and they are Kyle Walker-Peters, Joshua Onama, and Marcus Edwards. Uh, they're all fantastic players in their own right. So Walker-Peters now obviously is a proven Premier League player, very, very capable, playing lots of left-back for Southampton this year because they've got Livermento on the right. And Walker-Peters is showing up in the data for the most progressive passes. I mean, that's mad for a left-back to be showing up in, in the, the, those those, uh, those data. So great for him that he's establishing himself now. But, I mean, we've missed out there. We, we sold him relatively cheaply. We we could have had... If we if we played that perfectly, we would have Carl Walker-Peters as our right-back, as our right-wing-back now, and, and that would be great. Um, Marcus Edwards, obviously, there were... We struggled to bring through attacking midfielders generally, but he was a very special player who needed um, a lot of nurturing. Um, like, I'm so low to say that there were issues around his attitude because it's such a trope about young black players, or certainly young mixed-race players in particular. Mm. Uh, but there were some issues around um, his loan at Norwich where he he wasn't always timely with training and things. Um, and he needed a bit of guidance. He needed an arm around the shoulder. And I think he got the opposite treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and we messed up 
Edwards' development. He's now playing very, very well in the, the Portuguese top league. He's having another burst of exceptional form. He will get a multi-million pound move at some point to a bigger club because he's just a good player. He just is a good player. He's such a such a good player. And Josh Onoma, who, bless him, isn't getting in the Fulham team at the moment. He's um, He was, and then he got injured, and now he's on the bench. At one point, Josh Onoma would have been the ideal Dembele replacement for us. And if we just kind of, I feel like if we'd just given him chances, a few more chances in central midfield a bit earlier, then we could have caught him on the crest of a wave and his whole development, in my opinion, would have been completely different. But he kind of went over that that peak and then started declining and then he got injuries and his confidence was gone. And I don't know if he'll ever get back to the potential he had at one point, but... um. I mean, I hope I hope he does because again, very very talented player. Dribbly midfielders are so underappreciated. Like players that can progress the ball through midfield, like he does, just massively underappreciated in football in general. Um, so I, I hope I hope he goes on to achieve something because he's he's really good. But yeah, I just think we've we've not had a rat together. We're very good at developing players up to the point of uh, the end of their scholarship, so eighteen years old, and then we really struggle with the link between that stage of their development and the first team um despite various um, roles we've put in place despite various practices so loans no loans we just haven't quite got it right and i'm hoping that we can try and um start to get it right going forward and to be fair this year the under 23s are doing really 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 well under wayne burnett he's he's got a core group of players very few out on loan probably like six players out on loan and it's meant they've had consistent games together and they're very exciting to watch the 23s. Um, you know, Dylan Markande, Harvey White, Jack Clark, or Niall John, who I think is a terrific player, really like under underappreciated player. These are players with huge amounts of potential and them all playing together regularly in the same under 23 side has led to lots of good relationships being built between them. And I think um, if we can try and bring them through at a similar time, it's going to bode very well for us and for them because there's a lot of talent there. Mm. I think one of the things that fascinates me about the uh, the narrative around the Pochettino era and and the the echoes of that narrative now is this idea of Pochettino working with with youth players and certainly when he came through, you know, he he got rid of, you know, a whole bunch of players that he found problematic and brought through the young players, but all three of those players were around <laughs> the first team when mm-hmm. he was in charge. And all three of them now no longer play for Spurs. And I agree with you. I think all three um, are definitely very, very talented, you know, really could have been really useful players for Spurs. And they didn't because of the, you know, obviously we weren't learning players during Pochettino's time, but, you know, it's it's ironic or, or rather it contradicts that narrative that these players existed at that time and yet weren't really given any chance in the first in the first team. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, is Madueke another one that? But he he left oh, a bit yeah. earlier, didn't he? Like when he was like sixteen or seventeen. Something. Yeah. So that's the difference with him. He he saw what was happening with some of the older players that I just mentioned and decided to get out while he could, which was in hindsight the best thing he possibly could have done. But he is such a talent. I did actually see him. Um, there, there's like a couple of youth tournaments where you can catch YouTube clips 
um there's a there's one called the riga cup which is in in riga um and it's not, i think it's under 14 is the is the main age group so you can watch the spurs under 14 clips from the riga cup and madueki <laughs> looks unbelievable when he was in london under 14s and so everyone already knew about him had high hopes for him when he was about to come through and, and start his scholarship everyone's like yeah this is the year where madueki comes through we get to watch him and then yeah he chose to leave um and Amari Forsen, who went to Man U uh, a similar time, I think it was the same time, but it might have been the year before. Another one really talented was in the England groups, um, his age. Uh, yes, so players did start to sort of take the chance to leave. Rhea Griffiths is another one who left, went to Leon. Hasn't, to be fair, done much at Leon. hasn't broken through. Uh, Keenan Bennett's another one went to um, Gladback. Again, he's... Like been on the bench a few times, but not really broken through. But there were players who had ability and talent who were leaving. Uh, Ishmael Azawi, another one. So yeah, we we've kind of made a rod for our own back. The point I was going to make before was with young players, the thing that makes it really hard for them, and this is this is not just a Tottenham problem. This is an English football problem, and I get it because you have to like the money is so big that you have to prioritize the here and now. But the expectation is that the youth player has to be better than the player that plays in their position in the first team how mm. is that possible how can the youth player <laughs> with no games under their belt be better than an experienced first team player it's just not it's it's setting up something that cannot be achieved at all so i think there just needs to be an acceptance that youth players will come in and they might not be as good immediately but you have to look at the ceiling you have to project their ability forward like we did with skip and having a bit of trust in the players and accepting that they might not be perfect now but where you want them to be is well beyond the, the level of the player they're potentially replacing. I think that that change in mindset will lead to um, huge advances for for Spurs and for English clubs. Mm. Do you think it would have to be have to be a case of because uh, what you're saying about sort of you know the here and now? It seems like if we were say to start doing that and invest more in those youth players and start bringing them through into the first team. Would it take more of a shift across the whole league and sort of more regulations to come in about you need to be playing this many youth players and and things like that? Because I kind of feel that, like what you're saying, like if we're the only team who is sort of doing that and trying to sort of blood youth players and, and develop them in our first team, um, if everyone else around us is not doing that and they're playing the best that they can at that moment and you get a club like City who just like turn over <laughs> just whenever they want. They're like, all right, we've got this player. He's did a good job for two weeks. All right, next one. Um, yeah. it's like pretty challenging, I think, to, to do that. Like I would be all up for it if there were some more things put in place to sort of promote, um, more of that sort of youth development. I guess my fear there is that then you'd get your man cities and stuff still coming along and then suddenly youth players are now worth 50 million pounds. <laughs> That's exa exactly the point I was going to make. And I think the Premier League chairman see it as kind of anti-competitive compared to other European leagues. Um, but you only have to look at the year where Chelsea weren't allowed to make any signings and look at the impact that had on some of the young players now in their first team and see, I mean, this is, there's so much potential there. And obviously Chelsea are a little bit of an outlier because their youth development is insane. Like they are the, they're the peak. They're as good as it gets in terms of um, young players. But James Tamori, who's obviously moved on, but is now uh, a terrific um, probably going to be England centre back for years to come. Um, Gilmore obviously getting chances now, and he's at Norwich on loan, um, and many others. Hudson Adoy. There are so many possibilities for for young players to come through if clubs just back them a bit more. Um, 
but they, they the clubs prefer to sign like a 15 million 18 million pound squad player and and take a chance on them rather than trusting in someone they've got in their under-23s, it seems. I wonder, though, does this have a lot to do with, like, the fans being demanding? Like, that's something we've spoken about a little bit in the past, especially when it came around sort of, um, you know, all the conversations about Super League and all that, where it's just like, we want to be signing million-pound players, this, 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 this. Then it's like, oh, no, but here's a disgusting thing that's happening, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and we just kind of felt that, you know, through a lot of things, like, you know, you just need to log on to you know, Spurs Twitter once in the off season and see the amount of complaints that we haven't brought in, you know, the next, you know, we haven't signed Vlajevic, we haven't signed Martinez. Oh, we're just a tin pot club, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. And there's like so many calls to be making these huge, big transfers and, and like that's the way that it is. And I just kind of feel like if we were to take the approach of like, you know, going look for a few seasons where we are actually going to invest in the youth and, and promote that, I just feel like there would be so many parts of like our fan base who would just absolutely lose their mind. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's the it's the fiferization of of the Premier League, like the expectation of fans that you just you have a big budget and you buy the best players and that's it. There's no other way to to do it. Um, and, and maybe that will change. Like if if England were to do really well in one of the major tournaments over the next few years, which I think they will, I think we've got like that's all the talent at our disposal to do that. Maybe things start to change and clubs start to see. Well, hang on, we've got players like Jude Bellingham um, being developed in our country. Like these are quality young players. We need to just put a bit more faith in them. I don't know. It's it's a really tough one because, as you say, fans are completely unreasonable in their demands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember, I think it was last transfer window, we put up a tweet that was like, unbelievable, Levy, can't believe you didn't sign Pele this window. And people were responding like, like, well, even if he could, he wouldn't, Baba. It was like, what? What are you talking about? Um, with you, I'm very conscious of the time, so I want to get to the, the big issue of the week, which is obviously the uh, Ren game being postponed. And one of the things that we have in common here in Melbourne with you, uh, over in uh, London-ish, I, I don't know if that's exactly where you are, but is that I think maybe the other month we it was it was us two as the most locked down cities in the world, and then we pipped you guys by like three days or something. We so, won the title. You know, we got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll never sing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, you mentioned earlier with um, you said something about uh, unless there's some kind of event with COVID, what what is the sort of the current situation because it's it's eight players isn't it and then two coaching staff is that right so it's 20 20 positive cases at the club as i understand it currently oh, uh, like between first team players under 23 players and members of the coaching staff and then and then you start to think well how many of their family members are also mm. going to test positive as a result and their contacts and it it's a bit frightening it's kind of got out of control and this is what happens when you have like um when you have a breakout like this in in close quarters, it does spread really rapidly. And it, if it is Omicron, which I can only imagine it will be the Omicron variant, it's um it is spreading more quickly than the Delta, and we don't know yet whether that's um whether the effects are as severe or not. Uh, but definitely the in infectiousness is 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 higher. So real problem at Spurs. Uh, hence, they've decided to close the training ground for three days, which I think is a very, very, very wise thing to do. It stops. It allows them to do a deep clean. I know it's an airborne virus, and so droplets aren't the primary way of transmitting it, but that's a very sensible decision. 
Uh, but also it's just like a circuit breaker. It's a chance for those who are um, going to be positive but aren't testing positive yet for them to keep testing. And then if they are positive, they can now be separated and isolate. Um, and hopefully that'll be the end to the, the spread at Spurs. What we don't know is how badly affected our players and staff will be. And um, mm. I don't know if you've seen today that uh, Joshua Kimmich, the the Bayern player, um, the, the, he's going to miss the rest of the season because he's got long COVID. He's um, mm. very, very, very unwell. He wasn't vaccinated. Mm. Um, mm. He was very public about saying that he wasn't going to take the vaccine. Mm. It's so unfortunate. Apparently he, he got COVID just as he was about to take the vaccine, I think. And we just have to hope that our players are vaccinated and they don't don't suffer the full effects of this disease and that they kind of experience it as a cold, which is the best case scenario. Um, and I guess we just cross our fingers and hope for the best. But it definitely looks like the Brighton game won't go ahead as a result of this. I find it so interesting yeah. when we talk about this sort of stuff, because if we were talking about this just as humans and about friends and family and all that, we're very compassionate about everything. But as soon as sport comes into it, the sort of the creative, you know, creative juices get going. And like, even I, I know um, the last comments I read from Ren were that they were pretty unhappy about the game being postponed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I've been looking at it, I'm like, hang on, why would you want to play against a, a club? Like, I know you think Spurs are down now, so you can come, come in here, like, you know, come to our house, set wind, thump <laughs> us, send a message of beating our youth squad. Um, but then at the same time, like, if we're heavily infected, like, there's every chance that we've got players in our squad who haven't been it just hasn't surfaced yet. And then why would you as a club want to then get, you know, risk your players um, having, you know, coming into contact as well. And it just sort of strikes me like how just obsessed we are about with competitions and, and winning everything like that. And we don't really take these moments to step back. And like you said, Wendy, you know, think about like the families of all these players. And then like also, you know, the possibility that these things just become super spreaders and it just keeps going and keeps going. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about, um, our fan base and and maybe this is true of all fan bases and I'm just not privy to this kind of discussion, but um, we always seem to have, you know, with uh, Ben Davies, everyone was like, Oh, well he did. He just finished his business degree. Well done. Well done, Ben. Uh, clever lad. <laughs> or when Dyer finished his, like one of my first thoughts when the, I found out the training ground was locked down. I was like, what's going to happen to Eric Dyer's veggie patch now? Like, <laughs> yeah. What's good. What's going to happen? <laughs> um, and there's this like, yeah, personal element to it, which as you said, Dan, like somehow doesn't also connect to the fact that it's like, but they should still play. Like, you know, there, there needs to be that compassion across the board. But I, is this going to, like, I, I don't know, Wendy, um, what the situation is in the UK at the moment. Like I assume with the weather cooling off that the, inf the infection rate's going up and this is going to happen sort of more and more now over the winter period. Yeah, we're not managing the infection rate at all well. Um, so since the summer, to be honest, mm. um, we've not managed the infection rate in schools very well. Um, right. We, we ha we're not vaccinating children or we're just starting to vaccinate children, which means a lot large proportion of the children are unvaccinated and we don't have any mitigations really in schools. There's masks between lessons, but not masks being worn in lessons. And ventilation in our schools is very, very patchy. A lot of school buildings in the UK are very old buildings. And so the ventilation is not the best. So they are the hotspots for uh, infections and spreading. So 
all of my friends at the moment who have children like have their children frequently off school or their teacher goes off sick or there is temporary sort of isolations going on and and that's been the um that's been the real issue uh, in the UK and so we're seeing currently things get very bad again uh, and we're just praying that it, like the government will get it under control before it gets to the lockdown situation we're not locked down we've got some restrictions so you have to wear masks on public transport and you're going to in a week's time have to start showing that you've been vaccinated in order to go to large-scale events like football matches um but other than that the restrictions are fairly minimal and it's just kind of we're being asked to to be sensible to work from home where possible but then it's, it's not enforced so yeah it's pretty tough it's pretty tough to watch um yeah I, I i just think we've we've not got on top of this early enough again uh and it's it's going to get out of control and i can see a point in the very near future where football matches are behind closed doors once more mm-hmm. mm. yeah that's see that's fascinating because here you know obviously we are only just coming out we've only sort of hit a, a high vaccination rate um, but it's always, you know, like you have to wear masks, uh, in all retail stores, you have to wear masks on all public transport. You have to prove vaccination at every, like, uh, shops. Um, if you want to go to a pub, you have to, sh- you can't, you're not allowed in unless you're vaccinated. Same with sporting events. Um, and I had just assumed that it was the same, but, um, I can see that it is not. <laughs> Not quite, no. And we do have this huge anti-mask, anti-vax movement, which seems to be growing um, a bit like what you've seen across some Central Europe. It's um, it's growing here and there's a lot of ang- anger, I think, uh, and people feeling very controlled by the government uh, because the messaging has been so bad, essentially. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's been fascinating here is that we've got a similar thing, but now I think we're at, in Melbourne anyway, it's like 94, almost 95% vaccinated. And you realize that that's actually 5% of the population, you know, at the moment, whether those, all those people are still to be vaccinated or they are resisting it. Um, yeah. I don't know what it's like in London, but it's been a real here anyway. It's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's such a small proportion that um, we'll, we'll be okay. But I feel like when we come around to winter again, as happened last year, we might be in a similar situation where it just starts uh, climbing and climbing. Um, and uh, I just worry, like with, if there's 20, as you said already with two coaching staff, like you would have to assume given the uh, growth rate of the virus. And if it's the Omicron, like it's just going to keep on getting bigger and bigger. And like you said, Brighton, I assume won't happen. And maybe um, I can't remember what our next game is, but, you know, that might continue into the future and then we're going to end up with all these games in hand and, you know, yeah, nightmare. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to go. (laughs) Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's yeah, 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 absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been so nice to talk talk to you both. I've really, really enjoyed it and I'm happy to come on again in the future. We'd love that, Wendy. And uh, I just wanted to add as well, I think, you know, We've, we've listened to the extra inch for a long time. So uh, to any of our listeners, if you haven't, please go and check that out. And I think that, you know, after we were listening to to you guys talk for a while, that sort of also gave Barney and I the impetus to go, you know what, we'll give this a go and we'll jump on and do our own thing. So yeah, we've, uh, we're big fans and um, yeah, let's, let's do this another time as well. Thanks guys. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and like, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're clearly very good at what you're doing as well. So, so keep up the great work. Awesome. Cheers. And if anyone's listening to this, just remember that 
Uh, I think the athletic subscription is more expensive than the Patreon subscription to the extra inch and the extra inch, uh, Patreon is 10,000 times better. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah. There's a lot of content there. If, if you sign mm. up now, then you'll never, <laughs> you'll never ever get around to watching all of the content we've produced so far. B- bigger no than way. Netflix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. Um, cool. sweet. Oh, well, good luck, Wendy on the BBC. Cheers. See you later, guys. Uh, Thanks, Wendy. See ya. I know we didn't, which is good. We never really go into like the games too much, but that's just like, that's our our vibe in a sense. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to resist like when we first, we'd we'd, like go through goal by goal. And I just think it's so much better if we start talking about the game and then just end up somewhere else. And especially when we're coming in, late like we are now it's like everyone knows what happened like we don't need to they've already heard you know everyone else speak about it we're, we're more a spurs adjacent podcast in a sense <laughs> yeah 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 which is good all right so should we do a bit spursy metal let's definitely do it um cool do, do you want to go do you want to go first or do you want me to jump in um <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> I love just as we talk. It's like, well, you know, we use the games as a starting off point. We don't sort of, mm. um, you know, break them down analytically as much as like other podcasts do. Mm. So let's yep. give our votes to break down and analyze the games. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's better. You, uh, you start. You start. Just wait. Okay. Uh, Windy has gone, but um, there's one very important uh, item that we must address, and that is the Abit Spursy Medal. Um, and Windy leaving is actually quite convenient because, uh, as he said to us before the pod, do you mind if I reject the entire concept of it? Which, um, you know, everyone is uh, of their right to do such a thing. But um, let's just, uh, let's do the votes and see where they we land. We should say, we take it off. It is, a, this is the the most ridiculous oh, it's the award. thing in the world. <laughs> I was going to say this is the most ridiculous award in all of sports, as if it was even on the map in the sporting world. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so set, though. I'm so set that we send whoever wins, we send them oh, a medal. We're sending them, we're sending a medal. Like, this is going yeah. to be, um, you know, this is going to be probably costly um, for us to send mm. a medal there. And But we're, it's, it's, it's a true award. We're taking this seriously in the sense that we will follow through to, to the end of the earth the ridiculousness of the bit, but um, mm. no, this is, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll die when we do. Exactly. It'll die when we do. Um, I, I think as well that we need to send it with a homemade card <laughs> um, just to really sort of like, that's sort of very well uh, fitted for uh, the kind of, um, the kind of heart that goes into the this person. I feel like whoever gets it, they're going to be like, oh, that, it might actually get to the player then. Cause they'll be like, look, it looks like a child has made this. Mm. Um, mm. and they'll either go, oh, a child made this, this is sweet. Or they'll be like, the Zodiac killer is back. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? This, a message <laughs> is being sent right now. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So for the Norwich game, I'm going to go real quick because we've got two games. Um, the Norwich game, I am going to give, uh, three votes to Oliver Skip. Um, he is uh, the best midfielder I've ever seen. No, he's not, but it's very exciting to see a youth prospect come through and fulfill the the hype. Like, he is a really, really good player. Um, I'm going to give two uh, – sorry, did I say Norwich or did I say Brentford? Norwich. You said Norwich. Oh, great. I'm going to stick with that. Okay. So um, <laughs> – The vote to transferable. It's just one big mush that we're voting on here. 
should we combine them into one? Should we just make it one or and then double the votes? But I mean, also the votes, it, there's no proportion to them. I don't know. Uh, look, wait, which game did you think you were commenting on? Well, I was going to give him three for both, so it doesn't really matter. This is such a joke of an award. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to combine them. So six for Skip. Okay, six for Skip. Okay. Okay, three in both games for Skip. Got it. Yep. Uh, four for Ben Davies. Um, as we've already said, uh, he's back, or rather he's not back. He's here. Like, he uh, he's emerged. Um, and then I'm going to give uh, two, one from both games to Sonny. Um, I don't feel like he played that well in the Norwich game, but he also scored as he did in the Brentford game. And uh, it's it's great to see. Um, actually, no. Uh, yeah, no, that's fine. Yep, yep, yep. Two for Sonny. Uh, encouragement award to Lucas um, because uh, I um, love that goal he scored, but also, like Conte said, he needs to do more. So I don't want to reward him just yet. It's 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 uh, I want to tease him out and get him to start doing that more because that would be unreal. Um, negative votes. Um, I'm going to give negative a hundred to Windy um, for trying to destroy democracy um, when <laughs> when when he wanted to reject this award. This is the people's vote. Now, this isn't the Ballon d'Or where it's journalists and whatever. This is raw. This is raw. This is coming straight from the bottom. Um, and then uh, any other negative votes that I want to give? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Um, yep. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll mush mine together as well then. So I'm going four to Davies. Um, like we spoke about him earlier on the pod. Um, yeah, it's like we've got a different Ben Davies now, which could be the original Ben Davies. And we <laughs> just have – it's like we placed a limiter on him this whole time and that has been removed and yeah. then – you know, this is actually how, you know, he is best utilised. Um, I think like mm. what we were talking about earlier too, like when we have, we, we, we judge players so individually, but then, you know, it's there's so much more around that. So, you know, hopefully Ben Davies is the first one that's like started to sort of show, actually, hang on, we do have a decent like, you know, Premier League level player there um, who he's not necessarily the finished article that's going to take us to a league title, but uh, definitely not the first like, you know, spot in the squad that we need to sort of look at upgrading. Um, mm -hmm. So four points to him. Uh, I'm giving three to Lucas. Um, I agree. He definitely does need to do more overall, but like, well, that goal was like, it was pretty special. And I think we've seen from since when Conte's coming in, we've seen Lucas sort of dropping deep a bit, taking those, um, you know, getting it sort of back to goal and, and getting those little turns going. And I think that if he can start doing that and, you know, He's, he can be very dangerous going through the middle um, because he does have a pretty good shot on him and he's pretty quick, pretty agile, but it's like when he's playing out wide, it's like it doesn't really work and I, he doesn't really have the cross on him and it just doesn't really sort of come come off. But, yeah, hopefully, like, we kind of need Lucas to be chipping in. If he's going to be starting for us most games, mm. like, we, he's the sort of player who needs to be getting up to, like, 10 league goals a season um, mm -hmm. to sort of warrant that. Which he's only done once. He's only done once. Yeah. So it's it's it yeah. would be a lot for him to sort of change. But then again, in this system, you know, given a bit more time, um, you know, could he get there? Possibly. Um, I'm going to give two to Sanchez. Um, Ooh. Yeah, like Sanchez is such an interesting player. Like 
it was when he scored the goal and the celebration he gave, it was it was just the no celebration. It was really defiant, but it's like he's capable of very good games unless he has to turn. Um, yeah. Like it, he seems like, it, I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like maybe his balance is not incredible because he falls over quite a bit. Um, like in the Mura game uh, well, a couple of weeks ago now, like he slipped over twice basically for both of their goals. Um, he fell over, like he f- there was the the, um, the slip he had against Gundogan last season. Um, mm. It just seems like that when he comes up against a player who, again, maybe is a bit agile and can kind of go in and out um, and sort of twist him around a little bit, um, that's his that's his kryptonite. Like <laughs> that's his, yeah. his, he's so, like he just falls over. Um, but, oh, I, lo- <laughs> I love that idea. Like Superman, but he cannot turn around. <laughs> yeah. Like as soon as he turns around, it's like he's done. Yeah. Hey, he'll he's he's strong as anything. He'll hold you. He'll do everything. Yeah. But if he has to turn, yeah. Yeah. you're in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. So you've just got to constantly plot straight lines and then very slowly move around there. Yeah. But I thought you know scores the goal and um, you know we didn't concede in either of these games too. And sort of he's a part of that as well. Um, Skip, I'm giving two point five. Uh, that's including an encouragement award there as well. We 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 don't have to talk about Skip anymore. We we obviously love Skippy and. Mm seeing him play in this more attacking role where he's like able to surge forward a little bit. And like he played through Kane in the Brentford game um, where Kane mm. just decided he wasn't going to score again. Yeah. Um, and Kane also missed a chip in that game too. Um, yeah. Like. A Kane to me seems like he's so, like. Sorry. Sorry. He missed a, missed a chip in the Norwich game. Yeah. 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 And like the amount of like times the ball, he's a black hole at the moment in the box where he's maybe trying too hard or whatever. But it's like Lucas Moore has transferred his like cul-de-sac running over to Kane, where he just seems to just take the ball into positions where then it goes out for a corner or a goal kick or turns it over. It's yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, it's th- like we didn't really talk about Kane because there were more pressing things to discuss here, and we we've been mm. repeating the same stuff we've been saying for the last few weeks. So that you know he does he's doing some decent things in games, but he's still he's not the Harry Kane that we. Had or need right now. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So Batman quote. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and then apart from that, I'm giving uh, 1.5 to uh, Son. Um, you know, he's still, he's scoring for, like, I mean, he's our sort of leading score at the moment. Um, but yeah, there's just something that uh, I feel it's like we've, I don't know if Son has fully adapted to how Conte wants him to play yet. Um, or mm-hmm. if it's maybe just the whole team struggling to adapt, but there's something where I don't think we're, we're not really seeing Son sort of like, you know, step up and like take over games so much. Um, mm. and I, I, I don't know what the end goal is. So the end goal is for Son from Conte's perspective. Like, is he the player that where it's like, cool, we just need him to shine for a couple of moments in a game and we know that he's clinical and we know that he's going to score and then that's it. That's what we need from him. That's what, um, you know, he's one of the best going around when it comes to sort of either going one-on-one and getting a shot off or, you know, even just just shooting anywhere. He's so sort of clutch. Um, or is he the sort of player who we do need to, to be getting a little bit more involved and he's just not sort of um, doing that just yet? So, um, yeah, I don't know about Son. Something just feels like it doesn't feel like he's like peak Son at the moment, but he is still scoring some goals mm. um, and we're getting to see Spider-Man come out. So, so nice. So that's good. So I think with great power comes great responsibility. 
Exactly. We've done all three. <laughs> so yeah, and there we go. That's the uh, that's the end of the bits. Metal votes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what. Well, I mean, I don't know if we're going to play this week, but we had planned to do a Spurs conspiracy theory deep dive. So maybe we'll do that if there's no games. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's anything else we need to uh, cover. But thanks again to Wendy for coming on. Um, uh, Really appreciate it. Definitely check out The Extra Inch if you I – w- I would assume if you listen to this podcast, you listen to The Extra Inch. Um, but uh, if you don't, definitely go and check them out. Dan, any closing remarks? Uh, no. I think it's um, – it's uh, uh, well, I guess no no more than just sort of like overall it's, it's, it's a bit of a mixed time at the moment in the sense that we were starting to build up some momentum and it was feeling really great. And we were really starting to look forward to, to Spurs games and everything. But now the sort of outbreak has then sort of halted that and not to just be like, mm. Oh, this, oh, this COVID outbreak has halted our, <laughs> our games. We were winning. Not, none of that sort of stuff. Mm. But um, I think, you know, overall, I just hope that, you know, none of our players and none of our families that um, end up sort of, you know, getting into sort of a bad health position over this mm. and um, everyone can sort of recover um, relatively quickly, you know, for the benefit of themselves first. And then, uh, mm. you know, from there on, um, yeah, hopefully we can still just keep building under Conte and, um, you know, just continue pushing on for, for fourth. I think like Wendy said earlier, like I'm, I, I kind of agree. Like I'm pretty confident of us um, finishing top four. Um, just seeing like there are so many mixed results all over the league at the moment and mm. you know if if this covid situation does you know sort of kick back up again and uh more games get postponed it's like i think we we end up a little bit like last season where there's just a lot of results which just end up going all over the place because it's really hard to get any stability for any clubs through that so mm. yeah i think overall positive about how things are going but um yeah i think we'll we'll uh, hopefully we can have a have a game again in well from I don't know maybe a week or so. Yeah, well, I mean, I really hope that um, we do get fourth and uh, we can, you know, drop back into the consistency that we've had. Um, but also that I can reply to Rob's message uh, at the end of the year and say, "Ha, huh, yeah, you were right." Um, and he takes it better than when uh, we were at that bad shirt party, Dan, and I wore a Manchester United fan shirt, and his reaction was, "Oh." So, um, <laughs> um, thank you very much for listening to another episode of a bit Spursy. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you to Wendy again and come on you Spurs get better. You've been listening to a bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at a bit and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. 